Hi, this is Rob Wade of Emotionally14.com, conductor of the Crazy Train, player one at the E14 Gamecast, and the supreme leader of Talk Star Wars. You're listening to Mike and the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I commend your good taste. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm once again joined by Aidan Rosewell. Now, if you checked out last week, you'll know that Aiden is the host of two podcasts, one called The Room, which is a fictional uh, interview style podcast, and the other which is Days of My Life, and Days of My Life is a audio drama, but it's based on the true events of the life that Aiden has led, so all the things in there are true and happened, and it's some of the stories you hear are absolutely crazy, so I, before we even check out this chat, I really recommend people go check out Days of My Life, it is incredible. So obviously last week me and Aiden uh, spoke about mainly sort of his drug issues in the past, uh, his travelling to India and finding himself and and that sort of thing. Uh, The the discussion sort of continues on that sort of track this time. Uh, I won't bore anyone, especially any new listeners, we've got too many details to spoil the chat. But we basically speak about um, Aiden's stance on sort of redemption along with um, his spiritual and religious ideology, um, things that addicts need to do to be able to help themselves along with support networks and things like that, um, how Aiden changed to become a parent, um, um, as well as how one would teach their drug their children things about drugs, if if anything, you know what sort of opinions people have on that sort of thing. Um, tr- the transitional phase our society is in, uniqueness and normality, like loads and loads of different things in this conversation. But if you liked last week's, then I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. If you haven't gone back and listened to part one of this, I do really recommend you do so. But if you don't, it's not a necessity to. Now, at the start of this little podcast, you may have heard a friend of mine, Rob Wade, uh, introduce the show. Um, he's from Emotionally14. I've included a link to the uh, podcast well, network, kind of, in the uh, description. Uh, I don't think they're quite a podcast network. They're just quite like a big banner of quite a few things. And uh, they've got the Crazy Train podcast that is amazing. They've got the E14 Gamecast that is also amazing. Uh, and they've also got Talk Star Wars. And they've got a few other shows on their sort of network associated with them and things like that. But I really recommend people, especially the nerds among you, uh, go check out Emotionally14 and as anyone who knows this show knows that I am a massive nerd, you know, Star Wars is especially close to my heart. So, you know, go check out Emotionally 14. That's about it from me at the moment, guys. Um, I'll be back at the end of the chat just to give an overview of what's coming up in the coming weeks, uh, what's happening. I forgot to mention in previous episodes, and I'm very sorry about this, guys. Uh, next week, I'm actually going to be in Italy on Sunday, um, and so I'm not going to be releasing a podcast. So I do apologise, there's going to be a week break, um, which is quite bad, considering last year I don't think I really had any breaks, and this year I've had two because of Mexico, and or it was a longer break, actually. I think it was two weeks not when I was in Mexico, and then also this is going to be the third week. So sorry for all you hardcore listeners, guys. Uh, I... I'm just on holiday. I'm, I'm going on a Saturday. I'm not going back to Wednesday and doing the work to be able to get a podcast out is just going to be far too much. So I'll, I'll talk more about that at the end, but I just want to let people know who listened at the start just in case. So um, yeah. Um, anyway, I'll stop rambling now. So, you know, thanks for listening, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. I really hope you enjoy the chat. Go give Aiden Rosewell some love and um, I'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Yeah, yeah. And again, with the same same thing with, um, you know, doing mushrooms or acid, you know, mm. it's completely normal in a lot of cultures for people to go on like vision trips or yeah. you've reached an age of maturity where you're going to ex- try and expand your consciousness. You know, like me and my friends did it, there was like lifelong friends we were really safe we did it in a safe place we planned it and it was really cool you know but i couldn't tell anyone about it i couldn't tell mm. like my peers and stuff you know if i went into a job interview and they said could you describe a time in your life you know when you 
you, you made a big change or something really positive. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, once me and my friends, we went and we all dropped a bunch of acid and I felt connected to the universe in this way where I felt safe and that I didn't have to worry and that we were kind of all connected and that I could see this kind of energy. And it really reassured me, you know, I don't think I'm getting that job, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they go, well, okay, that guy's a fruitcake, but that's, that's my truth. You know, that mm. that's my truth that that happened. And, um, and I, I genuinely wish that other people could experience, um, that, that feeling, you know, I would, it was something that I would recommend to people, but I was lucky. I had friends that were safe and we planned it. And, you know, as we've just illustrated often, it will be, someone who's just kind of taking a risk mm. you know and it shouldn't be such a big risk mm, exactly and you know there's also parts that come along with that which is um there's a podcast called say why to drugs and it's by um a po- it's called by a woman called dr Susie gage it's part of the distraction pieces network which is what scroobius pips podcast is on for any uh, big pod fans of his and dr Susie gage she's from bristol i think and her speciality is uh researching how uh recreational drugs affect people in different ways you know i think primarily the mind and her podcast every episode's about half an hour long or so and it does a completely unbiased factual review of each drug in a way that it is there's not pro it's not anti-drug it, they do it with caffeine they do it with tobacco they do it with e-cigs do it with alcohol and they do it with sugar but they also do it with, you know cocaine mdma cannabis etc and they basically say exactly for certainty what the studies have shown what the data shows of each of these things and what they've said like scrooby's pip he's open and he said that on the show that he's done acid he's done this and he's done that and you know once again i don't want to delve into my personal life but the i have at least at once one point taken a hallucinogen so i am aware of what it can be like and Mm. in all honesty like the biggest problems that come with that as well as cannabis is an example would be an old friend of mine in college I don't really hang out with or haven't seen in ages. Basically, we smoked cannabis together when we were in college, uh, you know, when I was 16 or whatever, and he used to get anxiety about it. He used to feel bad because, you know, it's illegal, you get into trouble, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then he went to Amsterdam, and when he was in Amsterdam, completely fine. Not even a worry at all. He never got any panic attacks, never felt sick on the cannabis, nothing like that. And it's because, obviously, over there, it's fine. No one cares that you're doing it. It's, it's legal, essentially. But it's like... A lot of the things with acid or mushrooms, if you give someone who's drunk mushrooms or acid when they're out in a club or <laughs> there's some random house party, it's probably yeah. quite likely they're, they're going to, or at least higher chance of them, either freaking out or having a horrendous time. But if you if you educated people and said, look, you can do acid, you can do shrooms, you can do whatever, but you know you need to make sure you're with some people who know what they're doing. You need to be people who you're comfortable with. You need to be in an environment that if you start feeling bad and going wrong, that you move where you're sat in the room, you change the music, you eat something that got sugar in it. Like all these little things but people aren't told this because they're just told drugs are bad so they take these drugs and if something bad does happen to them like if i have a house party people come over my house parties and doing cocaine in the bathroom one of them starts to od or something if i call the police i can get in trouble and that immediately is just all these layers of danger that people Mm. associate with drugs is so much of it is the legality and once again i'm not saying sweeping let's just legalize everything tomorrow and you can buy it on a corner shop you know it's it's not that simple it's a very complex issue but it's it's one of those where a lot of the issues that come with it is, as you say, the social stigma with it, the uh, people worrying about, you know, getting into trouble and things. And then when trying to be reasoned with, like you guys were with the police officers and saying, hey, look, you know, you shouldn't do drugs. They're bad. Well, you're like, well, people have been telling me that for ages. So I'm not going to listen to anything else you're going to say now, even if some parts of it are valid. 
Yeah. Uh, again, it's a, it's a cultural thing. I think I think that's the uh, disparity. Mm. You know um, that when you walk along the street and you're seeing some dude uh, walking along the street smoking a spliff. You know, I look at that and I think that's antisocial. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm like, I don't want to smell your weed, dude. And also, mm-hmm. why are you smoking it when you're walking down the street? You know, like why aren't you sitting down in a cafe or listening <laughs> to some music or talking to a friend? Yeah, you know, right. um, I I'd liken that to you know walking along drinking a bottle of wine in, in in public. You know, I'd look at that and I'd go, Hey, dude, you're on your own. It's the middle of the day. You know, yeah. why aren't you at home or in a bar or something like that? I I think that's that's where you start to get these disparities and also the judgments because you get the judgment of a drug user being someone who must be in a criminal in some sense. Um, and that just vilifies younger people, you know, literally it makes you into a criminal. And, you know, from a young person's point of view, you're saying, Hey, you know, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. You know, I've never been influenced by gangster rap, but I mean, Look at some of the imagery in gangster rap. It is all about smoking weed every day, sipping Jack Daniels, um, and that's their way of life, you know. And if you're impressionable to that sort of thing, it just reinforces that message of like, this is something to do, you know. Look <laughs> at me, I'm a fucking rap star, you know. I've got beautiful women around me, and I drive this car, and I don't give a fuck, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wonder what, um, so we've, uh, I will slightly go off uh, the drug discussion now because we've been talking about it for a long time, even though it's, sure, it's always sure. interesting to speak about that and things. Um, but I wonder to ask, um, we, we likely touched on this slightly earlier, but I, I wonder if you could disclose um, some of your, if any, spiritual views or views of not only the universe, but also if you think anything happens after death or anything. I want to clarify, I'm an agnostic atheist, so I'm kind of, it, you know, I've got my own opinions on things, but I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts are of if you have any spiritual beliefs. Um, it's kind of hard for me. I, I sort of describe myself as an atheist. Um, but then <laughs> I kind of flip to agnostic a- atheist. Um, all of the kind of spiritual work that I've tried to do on myself or kind of humanist work that I've tried to do on myself, eventually you hit the wall, no matter what you study, hmm. whatever church you go to, you hit the wall where someone proclaims to have the idea as to what happens and i don't ever see any evidence that there is anything after the life that we have Mm -hmm. so it's an ongoing thing for me you know i suppose i'm a bit of a hypocrite in the sense that um you know my mom died 20 years ago and i call myself an atheist but i still talk to her you know like if i'm having a really shitty time or like i've got something really stressful on i'll sort of say you know mom if you're up there can you can you help me out with this one? <laughs> mm, yeah. um, so an atheist doesn't do that, right? It's, so I guess what I would go with is that in my emotional heart and in my um, emotional self, I believe that there is something more than we can see and definitely something more than we know. Mm. Um, and I'm happy for that. I'm happy to let that be a mystery. Mm. Um, and I think the sooner that you can get to that, however you do it, the acceptance of I'm not going to keep sort of torturing myself with what if, and, you know, is there something that I can read as there some practice I can do that can take me there? I Mm. think the sooner that you get to, you know what, I'm going to let that be because I've got this time now. I think that's as 
kind of religiously, spiritually profound as it gets. Um, you know, the Zen thing, the enlightened mind, the idea of uh, living in the present moment, taking your breath and being grateful uh, and uh, seeing life as an experience um, without being passive um, and not closing off to stuff. I think that is, you know, when you describe it like that, that, that sounds hard enough to achieve. Mm. So why, why make it any harder for yourself? No, you yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah, I don't have, uh, I know it's quite trendy. You know, you get people like Ricky Gervais and, um, you know, uh, other people along that kind of route. That it's, it's kind of fashionable to say, you know, fuck off atheism, you get one life and then you're dead mm. and all of that sort of stuff. And I think... I, I, I think that just feels too kind of um, Logan, Loganistic for me mm. to to go with that. I, I, I can't escape the fact that my mom's been dead for 20 years and I still talk to her. Mm. Um, and that, that kind of tells me that I believe that there's something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a very balanced uh, perspective on it. I mean, you know, with myself, I used to be, when I was in school and things in college, I was quite quite a strong atheist you know i'd argue with people about religion i'd think down about people who were you know christians or catholics or any other sort of religious ideology i'd just be like well there's nothing you just die that's the end easy um and then you know i don't know if it was some of the experiences i had through college or after dad passed away or what it was specifically i don't think it was like a turning point per se it was just like a gradual idea of i kind of came to terms with the fact that there may be some degree of life after death, but it wouldn't be the way of life we understand it. Maybe our consciousness lives on in some other astral being or way, and we go into other way of being. I don't know. Maybe this is just a step uh, in the you know ultimate stairway of life of just varying examples of it. I don't know. No one knows. And the way I kind of look at it is, I think similar to what you were saying, is the only thing everyone on Earth knows for a hundred percent certainty is that there's at least one life. No, no one knows if there's two or 10 or a million. No one knows that, but we know we have this one. So just be as nice to each other as you can now. And then if there is another life, we can worry about that afterwards. It's, it's, if you're just a good, nice person to relatively everyone and try and be the best person you can be. I've said before, if there was a God and I went up and I died tomorrow, went up to heaven and he said, no, you need to go to hell. And you know, I'd be like, well, why? He was like, well, you lived a good life and everything here checks out, but you didn't believe in me. I'd be like, well, that, I don't want to worship you then I'd rather go to hell like it is that I don't believe in those things mm. but you know it's, it's that sort of ideology where it's like if if there was really a god and there was really some sort of deity that controlled everything or whatever uh, depending on how strongly you think the deity is connected with our lives if they're that intelligent and powerful and all that they should be quite understanding to understand that if they put you in these situations that they you know they're meant to be god's meant to be omnipotent and omniscient and all-knowing or powerful all this or that and it's like oh surely he already knows that if i've lived my life through this way and my parents died and this happened and that happened and all the evidence has been put forward to me for being an atheist then they would realize oh no we're being an atheist yeah that's fine like it makes sense so i'm always that sort of with religion i like the spiritual side i like the community side uh, and I like the idea, but I don't like the application, which is just, you know, our way of doing it is right or your way of doing it is wrong. Or, you know, I believe this, that so you shouldn't be able to do that. You know, that's when it all gets really hazy and squirrely for me. Yeah, I think um, I think I think a lot of it, like you're saying, it, 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 the idea that we are somehow kind of lower and that there could be a higher power mm. that is in some way judging us, scrutinizing us testing us 
I think that's a load of bollocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I think anything that has the capability to observe us or to give give us what we call life and consciousness, they must be loving and they must be kind. Mm. Um, you know, it's the idea of that in my life I'm going to have to answer to some higher power who's kind of going to look at my life and kind of give me like some kind of data feedback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, similar to you, I would, I would, I would turn my back on that. Mm. Um, I think again, you know, the, the, the sooner you can get back to the fundamental kind of principles of, of, of humanity, of compassion, kindness, forgiveness, all those things that resonate in all the different religions, um, you know, you, you're safe. If you stick with those in life, you're, you are safe, you know? No, exactly. I hundred percent agree. And it's, it's such a weird one as well with, um, with the whole religion thing, but kind of leaning from that onto something else we kind of spoke about is I want to get your opinion on uh, redemption in a sense, because obviously you're a gentleman who, when you were younger, you know, you were doing a lot of drugs, doing this, that, and the other. And I imagine doing some other things as well, which were potentially not very favorable or very considerate of others. And then, you know, you had this, uh, this journey and then you came at the other side and you're like hey i want to try and be a better person and you obviously uh, got to where you are today and i want to ask it it's an interesting question because uh, religion is a really weird one about it depending on who you talk to but uh, what do you think there's always time for people to get redeemed is there is there with especially with drug addicts and things like that there are people in society that a lot of people just look at it in a really black and white way and just go Oh, you're addicted to drugs. That is 100% completely your fault. It's easy to not to do... If you're addicted to heroin, it's easy to stop doing heroin because you just stop. And that's the end of the start, the problem. You know, people have this very narrow view of it. So I want to ask... I don't believe that. I want to clarify. I don't have that view on yeah. uh, drug addicts. But there is obviously a degree of they have to take some charge in their life. But with redemption, do you believe that there are... The people don't get enough chances nowadays to actually redeem themselves. And society far too often will kind of paint someone with one circle of the brush and then you you can never come back from that um i think ultimately it is down to perception and it's down to um the individual's perception of themselves and i think that that is always redeemable i I think that redemption for oneself can be found and fought for and lived out um at depending who you are and what the context is, it can be a lot harder than other people. Um, you know, you meet people um, in my professional life. I work with a lot of vulnerable people, people that have got substance misuse issues and so on. Um, for a while, I managed a, a homeless uh, shelter, a frontline homeless shelter for chaotic sort of in off the street people. So I'd, you know, I'd meet people who were habitual heroin users, 30 years plus, you know, lost Mm. their children, body falling apart, you know, and you could see in them that they had no hope of redemption for themselves. They were kind of just kind of surviving, winging it, you know, hoping that something good might happen, but without the tools to do it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that you, have to do if you're going to try and be a good member of society is to offer people that chance of redemption and to see that you know so often we live in this world where we're so quick to judge and to condemn somebody who actually they're they're trying to do the best they can yeah they're fucking up and they're making mistakes and they're maybe mistreating people 
But I think there's a very, very small amount of people that are actually waking up in the morning and saying, today I'm going to hurt somebody else. Mm. I'm going to make their life worse. I want to make that person suffer or I want to have a negative impact on my life. I think even the most chaotic and kind of um, troublesome people, the people that need the most time, wake up in the morning and they probably first thoughts are that, you know, they feel scared. They don't know how to cope. They don't know how they're going to get through the day. And, you know, that, that, that behavior plays out. So redemption, you know, to the extreme example, listening to one of your previous episodes when you were talking about Adolf Hitler, <laughs> um, you know, um, it's something that I throw out time and again, and it's always interesting to throw this out to people and to test their faith or test how, how kind of, um, I guess how congruent they are with themselves is to say that, you know, Adolf Hitler as a person was doing the best he could, mm. you know, he, he didn't wake up in the morning and think, right, I'm fucking King Nazi. I'm going to murder a load of Jews and I'm going to love this. You exactly. know, he had, uh, he had ambition and, uh, dreams and fears and, uh, problems, but he was actually trying to do the best he could. He got For it Germany. completely yeah. fucking wrong. Yeah, hundred percent wrong. Very. He had the initial intentions of making Germany better again. I mean, obviously, we're both neither of us are pro Hitler. I'm glad, glad for that. Yeah. To any other listeners, we're not saying yeah, no, Hitler did nothing wrong. Obviously, he did some of the most heinous acts in human history. But at the uh, beginning, with especially, he was trying to do the best for Mother Germany, and he got them out of like the hyperinflation crisis quicker than I think. Apart from I think it's Teddy Roosevelt's the only other person who's done it in world history that quickly of getting them out of a case of having you know a million frank a million. German dollars, whatever they were, being worth like a few pennies and it not mm. being the entire uh, economy was screwed over. And he sorted that out and he did a lot for Germany before it became this, you know, that the concentration camps and the Holocaust and all that sort of horrendousness. It was in his own warped view to begin with, he was fine. He was doing things to whatever, but when he started to try and take over places from Germany and when he was trying to kill Jews and stuff, obviously, as we both say, it's the, definitely, definitely the wrong thing to do. But in his warped perspective, him doing those horrible things was for the betterment of his country. And that's what he was trying to strive for. You see, the thing for me is if, if you're really committed to sort of religion or spirituality or prayer or, you know, compassion or, or so on, you know, you should put your um, guru on a pedestal. So if mm. that's Jesus, if that's Buddha or Krishna or um, whoever, you know, the Pope, um, you should also put on the same pedestal Adolf Hitler and not to, you know, just be sensational about it, but to say, you know, where does it, where do you start to have compassion for him? You know, mm. is it when he invaded Czechoslovakia or is it when he blew his own brains out or mm. when he did that? What, where's your line where you, you know, um, where you start and, you know, it doesn't have to be Adolf Hitler. You can start with everyday stuff, Donald Trump or whoever you find, pushes your buttons that's your invitation to then say right you know this person makes me feel angry why does he make me feel angry and if you trace it back it'll come down to you know donald trump makes me feel angry because i feel like he's probably not doing a very good job and he doesn't care about people in the same way that i do Hmm. that's compassion so it's his lack of compassion that makes me feel angry but really it's it's in me so I need to find a way of being compassionate towards him. I need mm. to find a way of saying, you know, you're not evil, you're not racist, you're doing the best you can. 
I really wish that you would do it in a different way. I really wish that you would not use some of the language you use or maybe think more before you, you say things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's um, where redemption starts, you know, because it's like me in my life, you know, if I look at myself and I think, you know, I dropped out of school, I didn't get any education, I was using a lot of drugs, you know, I messed up a lot of relationships. I used to like break into my school and smuggle drugs around and, you know, didn't treat some people very well. Um, at what point do I kind of start saying, okay, but why did I do that? You know, what was mm-hmm. I, because I was actually trying my best, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's, that's a, a, a very grounding kind of way. You know, clearly if someone comes into your house and is going to attack you, you have to fight back. It's okay to defend yourself. But after you know that you're safe and after you know that this person is not attacking you, that's when you have to start thinking, okay, why did that person come into my house? Well, you know, why they must have been so on a trip to get somewhere that they risked actually doing that, Mm. you know? they must have had really strong feelings about it i want to understand that you know yeah yeah it's a very interesting point you bring up there especially you're using the specific extreme example of hitler and the still not as extreme but still quite a hot topic with uh trump and things and it is that almost you know if you ask a religious individual okay would you forgive hitler most people would say or let's say most people would say no you go okay well if he killed half the amount of jews and people would you still would you redeem they go oh no definitely not I go, okay what if he killed one one Jew would you do you think he's redeemable if he he did everything great he did for Germany and he killed one Jewish individual uh, and then immediately after he regretted asked for forgiveness and I imagine most people would be like well I suppose you could okay okay, what about two people what about three what about ten and then it gets this really weird grey area of like well how far it's obviously as you say it's, it's looking inward it's looking at yourself as an individual of how far would you let someone go before you allow them to come back and it is a really nerdy reference that's just come to mind and i'm sorry about this but i always bring it up in podcasts uh, is star wars darth vader i assume have you seen star wars the yeah, original? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, cool it's quite a big pop culture icon by now so i'd hope so um you know darth vader he you know killed uh, obi-wan in the thing he's shown to be very evil if you read the comics or see anything else about him or even anakin in the prequels he kills a lot of people and it is horrendous a lot of the time but then at the end of return of the jedi he sacrificed himself to save luke and whatever and he becomes you know he dies and it's all redeemed and stuff and it's like well no one watches Star Wars and goes no that's bullshit he shouldn't be redeemed he's still awful blah 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 or maybe some people don't and i don't talk to them but it does bring up that that interesting concept of yet yeah, where where is the line? Where do you stop letting people? And, and I think it's, as you say, it's the compassion and also part of it is how how much they want to improve themselves. You know, a drug addict a lot of the time doesn't want to be addicted to heroin. Uh, and so they, but they're kind of almost stuck in a loop a lot of the time or they feel like they haven't got any other options and that sort of stuff. So it is looking inward and seeing what you can see about their situation, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And how far they've gone down the wrong path and if you're willing to allow them to bring them back. And another part of it is with addicts, which is one thing my friend uh, Reese actually said, which is very insightful, which is the problem is with most addicts is a lot of them don't necessarily want to stop doing drugs. What it is they want to want to stop doing drugs. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Like they, they do want, they don't want to necessarily stop heroin. What they want to do is be in the mindset and the stable place enough to be in the set where they do want to not do heroin. If you'd see what I'm saying. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, 
yeah that's that's the uh the, the nature of addiction and also the paradox of how you sort of you know try and relate to someone and support them because um again you know like if someone's attacking you you've got the right to defend yourself mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's where you can park your compassion okay um <laughs> in in the same respect you know if you're trying to help somebody who needs to make a change in their life um so like i was in my professional life you know taking people that are on the streets they're injecting heroin coming into a place the kindest thing there is to say this is the structure and this is the way out and if you can't follow that then the most compassionate thing i can do is say that you're not allowed to because mm. to for me to allow you to have some false idea that it's okay to keep behaving the way you are then I would actually be doing you more harm and I care about you enough to say that this is a solid structure way out. And if you can't find it on your own, then I'm offering to help you and I will support you. But if you lie and, and, and start using again, or if you um, tell me that you're going to do something and then you don't, then the, the trust is, is gone. But that's about working between you know, two people in a professional context. Hmm. Um, I think in, in, in broader speaking, in, in humanity terms, uh, the idea of giving people second chances is, is um, overlooked often. You know, people condemned and kind of given their narrative quite often, you know, you are this now. Um, and I think that, you know, we, 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 we're ever-changing people every day, perception changes. And I think that, um people should be given um more second chances um but when you come to something specific like addiction there has to be a a um a solid structure and trust and a working relationship mm. you have to put the line somewhere when it's something that can be so so gray in a sense but it is I mean, it's a noble thing that you're doing with um so what you've lightly touched upon there and Leading kind of on from uh, the redemption side and forgiveness, in a sense, it is kind of a, 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 a an odd segue. Uh, but obviously, you have a child, and uh, mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking, essentially, is when you were younger and when you were going through your sort of uh, and height of the drug addiction and things, and then obviously when you went on your travels and sort of um, managed to kind of come more to terms with them and things, was it part of that? In that time, did you think that you were ever going to? want kids or have children or was it you know potentially your mother passing away that kind of triggered it the, the, the reason i ask is because i i kind of wanted a kid for a while like when i was younger like eh, yeah maybe and then once my dad passed away and i went through my sort of grieving period and things when i came out of that i was like oh now i just i do really want a kid because i want to all the stuff that i lost out on with my dad i want to try and be there for my kid and but you know that sort of thing i wondered if the life that you had led had any sort of impact in your uh, future plans to become a father? And then obviously now that you are one, if in hindsight, it maybe change your perspective in any way. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I was 28 when I became a father mm. um, and um, I really wanted to be a dad. I didn't have like this kind of need to have a new family. I didn't, I, I know some people, kind of get this kind of almost primal feeling of like god i need to have a family i need to have children mm. I, I, I didn't really have that I, I had a very sort of 
kind of nice kind of solid sense of like yeah i want to be a dad one day yeah uh, and thankfully you know i kind of met the right person and and it and it and it happened uh but the one thing i'd say is i was not prepared for fatherhood at, at all <laughs> um i thought i was um but it's been a real kind of roller coaster for me because what i've realized is when you have a child it's like having a mirror mm. um my daughter is kind of looks like me behaves like me thankfully she's not dyslexic but she's uh, just the same sort of child I was she's very rebellious and very kind of high functioning in her in her imagination and stuff like that and so what a real challenge for me has been is has been putting in boundaries with her about behavior uh, mm. because I didn't really get those from my parents and so I've gone through this stage of sort of marking off years and going wow I've, I've managed to get her this far <laughs> and she hasn't fucked up yet. <laughs> um, and it's like an ongoing process. Um, and that can be really tricky because um, a lot of the time as a parent, you spend your time being the person that you know they need. And that is real hard work. Is you know, It's so easy f- to just raise your kid and just be, oh, yeah, f- yeah, fuck it. You know, fuck it. I'm going to let you do that because mm. that's what you want to do. Um, and that has been a real challenge for me is getting that line right between, you know, letting it go close to the edge, but not over it. Um, which is, um, I think something that all parents should consider is, you know, I, I think really the test for, if you're ready for a parent is, are you completely okay with your, your, your own parents and your own upbringing? Because it's the moment that you become a parent, you're going to start looking back into your early years and how you were raised and what your parents said and did to you, how they behaved. And you're going to start matching it with that. And so for me, it was quite a a kind of, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I've kind of really opened the door to something here. I didn't expect it to be this intense. Yeah. I I mean, obviously, I I don't have a child, so I don't have that. Uh, knowledge of it i've got uh, i've got some older brothers and they've got nieces uh, they've got daughters and so- and sons that which are my nieces and nephews so i've had some degree of interaction with them and obviously i can see the parts of my brothers that are in them and obviously to some degree as well me like i've got my niece um she is now 13 um so and we hang out occasionally and watch uh, like a movie once or uh, once a month or so and the more she grows up the more i can see of like myself and my brother in her and obviously a lot of that comes from our dad um so it's like it is interesting seeing those things and i've spoken with my girlfriend we've spoken about kids and stuff and we're probably not going to venture down that until we're like uh, much closer uh, to 30 and it is one of those things i've i've kind of i don't know if you had this this sort of fear but it's like you know I know I was like when I was a kid and I could be a mouthy little this or mouthy little that, but generally I was a good kid and that's fine. But I have that fear of like, what if they just, you know, I mean, it, in, for this conversation, it worked in quite well. You know, what if my kid becomes a drug addict? What if my kid, like I've never abandoned them anyway. I'm not, I'm not insinuating that, but like there's that worry of what if my child starts to go down a path and I try and help them, but you can't c- c- fully control your child. You can try and guide, but you can't control. So if you don't mind me asking is, is that, potentially a fear that you may have going down the line or do you think that due to the environment that you're going to be uh, raising her in along with your partner that it's going to obviously one would hope uh, mitigate and stop that happening well I think you know w- when you're a parent y- you always worry you know mm. um, I had to drop 
drop her off at her drama class this morning and we just get to the point where I drop her off she gets out of the car and she crosses the road on her own and yeah. that, that, that scares the shit out of me mm. uh, but she you know she does it in terms of the drugs thing what I try and comfort myself with is the knowledge that when I started doing drugs my parents didn't have any kind of education about drugs they didn't have any experience with them they didn't know how it worked yeah I've been around drugs in my personal life and then in my professional life mm-hmm. um so I I can just tell if someone is using or if someone is you know possibly going to use so my radar is is well on for it and i'm perfectly ready to have a conversation uh with her which is a a genuine conversation about the pros and cons of doing drugs and Mm. doing them safely and where you're getting them from um and you know are you sure you want to do this uh but i ultimately wouldn't say no you're not doing drugs um, because I think that would put up a barrier between us. And I'd be a hypocrite because she would say, well, have you done them? Mm. And I would have to say, yes, I did. So the conversation starts with, yes, I did. And I tell you what I wish I had and hadn't done mm. <laughs> in those. So, yeah, um, hopefully we're going to have a much more honest and careful uh, conversation about those things Um but I don't know. It, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those things in my head where I've kind of thought about that with um, spoken with my partner because she's not had any interaction with that sort of with drugs or anything like that. Whereas myself, when I was a lot younger, you know, I did as well. I, I did. So it, it's that thing of you know, as as you've rightly pointed out, you know, if they find a kid, I want to be as honest with them as possible, and I want to say to them, you know, you know, I would. I don't want you to do drugs in a similar way that I don't. I would ideally not really want you to drink because if you do these things, you get yourself in a more vulnerable position. You can hurt yourself. You can damage this. You can damage that. But it is your life. But if you're going to do these things, you know, if you have a kid, if they're gonna not kid, but if you if one of your children wants to drink alcohol when they're the right age or whatever, it's fine. As you go, okay, well, here's what you do. Make sure you don't down a whole bottle of vodka to yourself. That's probably not a good idea. You know, if you do. Yeah drink throughout the night and go to a house party make sure you just have a glass of water and before you go to bed maybe have a little bit uh, like a crisp or a dollar kebab or something you know whatever just maybe line yeah. your stomach a bit if you're going to do this and I've said to my girlfriend I've been like you know if they when they get to college I don't know what or maybe even younger than that more so probably end of secondary school when they get to that age where it's like a potential it's like yeah, you know, I don't want to go up to them and say hey cannabis is great you should do it it's like you know obviously that's the wrong approach <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not uh, but equally you know it's a weird dynamic in uh, the society and a lot of Western culture where if with alcohol, that is the case when, you know, the thing is, you know, oh yeah, my, my son's now 16, you know, we have a barbecue and he has a Corona or two or, you know, that's a really, yeah. And with me, it's like, well, what if, you know, my child got to a certain age and cannabis was legal, which I think it's probably going to happen in the next couple of decades. Don't know how long it's going to be. But if that was the case, would I then be like, wait till my kid's 16 and then, have a joint with them is is that weird like social like in our social and culture things that sounds like a really weird thing to do introducing your child to a substance which is illegal but if it's legal it, it surely that's that's fine and if it's not then why is alcohol okay you know I mean, kind of oddly enough kind of loop back around to the whole weird legality side of it so i've thought about it a bit and i want to get your opinion on it because yeah i I just i don't know i I wouldn't know how to approach my child about these sort of things as you say like i've i've done some stuff if i tell them you should never do it oh have you done it yes i have why can't i do it then well that's a good reason why can't you because i don't want you to get hurt well you didn't get hurt well no but you might and it's you see i mean it's well i think the thing is the thing is you're talking about 
you know, learning essentially, mm-hmm. aren't you? You know, and it's like, you know, you, you wouldn't think twice about teaching your kids how to drive, you yeah. know, uh, why not teach them how to do drugs? You know, if they want to, you know, <laughs> if my daughter's going to use drugs, I'd much rather I'd be there and talk mm. to her about it than just some random dude that she doesn't know very well. and I don't know very well, mm. you know, that, that is not a good idea. It's like, if you're going to learn how to drive, then you make sure that the guy's an instructor, he's got a car, he's got the mirrors, he's got everything, and he can say, yes, I do this. You know, I've been tested, I'm okay to do this. Yeah. You know, and then you pay them for it because it's all safe then. You don't have to worry about it. So if you're going to test cannabis, you know, don't just go and sort of, oh, yeah, I've heard this guy, you know, you go and knock on his door and, like, you know, you go in and, yeah, you know, they're like, all right, who are you? And, you know, and like, wait, where are you from? You know, that's fucking ridiculous. You know, exactly. why? Why would you treat something as important as a mind-altering substance and just leave that in the hands of some stranger who probably hasn't got the best intentions? No, exactly. That's a very good point in that. And um, I want to ask as well, um, there's something which uh, I want to ask you, and I think I've written it down. I think it may have been something either was said, I think it was said in one of your podcasts or something, but almost the idea of the pain of being normal. And I don't know if that was something you specifically said or if I kind of, wrote it uh, down in a similar way but do you think there's a lot of pressure on people today to fit into this narrow way of being this very much you have to do this be you know, have this job have a family like this don't do drugs don't listen to this kind of music don't do this don't do that do you think that there's a lot of pressure on people into ways of kind of being unique and stuff and having to be different to loads and loads and loads of people but also this weird thing of being kind of socially uh, ostracized for being different, like what's your sort of opinion on the, in air quotes, normality and the way society perceives it? I think it's a very tough time to live with identity. Um, I think that it's a, a real challenge uh, nowadays because you are kind of expected to fit in uh, to a, a, a certain of demographic you know and time is changing you know uh, culture is changing so quickly that from you know my growing up of having no internet and no kind of um uh, mass kind of connection to the outside world from the, the small town that i grew up mm. you know my daughter's now grown up in a place where she can communicate with anyone anytime mm. um and what that leads to i think is Overall, the, the the trend and the the kind of uh, idolization. Um, whereas when I grew up, it was pop stars, rock stars, um, movie stars. Um, they're so fluent nowadays that they're kind of irrelevant. The mm. best, most trendy thing you can be is immediate to be able to appear and to uh, reach out and be connectable straight away. So whatever it is you're doing. Um, you have to sort of have this kind of, I am the cutting edge and, you know, it might only last for five minutes. Um, you know, Andy Warhol's 15 minute fame thing. Mm. That was, that was, that was way overjudged. It's a lot less than, you know, uh, 15 minutes, you know, people were like falling over themselves to get a tweet that is retweeted to, um, you know, come up with the, um, picture that 
causes controversy or the punchline to the joke that is the most, you know, um, darkest joke that you can tell or, you know, and I think we're going more and more towards pushing and pushing and pushing to the point where it kind of becomes irrelevant, um, you know, what your style is or what your, um, what your trend is. I think that the pressure that that puts on young people is overwhelming. You can see it in them. You know, I'd see um, like teenage girls and boys and they haven't got a fucking clue who they are. And they're mm. like panicky because they're looking in their phone for it and then they're looking around and there's this constant kind of, am I okay? Am I doing everything okay? Have I said the right thing? Am I looking cool? Is my, you know, my Instagram's cool. My Twitter's cool. That's how people connect to me. And I think it leaves people in this kind of flux state you know, where they're like, don't really know who the fuck they are. I think in the next 10, 20, 30 years, pop culture, as it was known, or popular culture, is going to become very interesting because it's becoming almost integrated with technology to the point where it's like, you know, you can be absolutely anywhere in your world in doing your thing. You know, we've seen the breakdown of mass media in terms of newspapers and um, you know, mass news organizations breaking down because people don't give a fuck about them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, their news is what is interesting to them and what their angle on it is more interesting than any news person can tell you. So whereas we lived in a world where we were consumers and that would then inform our opinions, I think in the future, our opinions will then inform the consumers, um, will, will uh, inform the uh, conglomerates you know they they will start becoming reactive to us whereas we used to be like oh cool you know playstation's coming out and it's there's going to be a playstation 2 or like have you seen my new nikes you know mm. or that kind of thing i think it's going to flip and it's going to be much more that we are calling the shots and saying we want you to make us this mm. <laughs> why haven't you made it yet you know um, and I think that that's the kind of flip that's going on, but it leaves a lot of people feeling very anxious and very displaced and very out of touch with everyday kind of human conditions, which are, you know, I feel sad or I, I feel happy or, you know, I haven't got as much as that person, you know, wants and needs kind of get missed in this because it's like whatever you were doing last week is fucking irrelevant now because <laughs> everyone else has done it. We've heard it. It's been remixed. It's been downloaded and you know, it's a product uh, that is accessible and then it's gone. It's consumed. We want the next, 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 next. Yeah. That, that's, that's very interesting. It's it, it, it jumping off that. Are, are you generally more optimistic then about the future, both with sort of how social media and the internet is affecting people both positive and negatively, and also where the sort of cultural shift is going towards, you know, drug legality of cannabis and then sort of decriminalization of other things. I think in Denver in America, I think they decriminalized uh, psilocybin mushrooms and stuff. So not obviously the world being good is not equivalent to what drugs are legal, obviously, but in the general sort of uh, social sphere and things, do you, excuse me uh do you think that going forward it's gonna get better do you think we're we're in a transitionary phase where things are just going to get better it just kind of seems not that way at the moment or are you more pessimistic i think we're in a huge um i think in a long long time to go we'll look back at this age as a really really important time mm. but you can do any sort of period in time you know but i think fundamentally 
if you imagine, say, in 200 years' time, they'll look back at the year 2000 and they'll say, right, that's when the internet started. That's when people's ability to learn, communicate, and everything changed. I think we're vastly underestimating the impact that's having on human beings and, and society. I think, unfortunately, my own perception is, is that things have to get a lot worse because across the world you can kind of feel this kind of polarization uh, mm. uh, and this divide between people that have and people that do not have. And whether that is wealth, whether that is equality, whether that's peace, whether that's rights, you know, whether it's um, opportunity, mm. that that's becoming the next big thing. Because it's kind of like, you know, you can't just go around blowing the fuck out of people <laughs> because there's TV cameras everywhere now. Mm. So you can't just do things um, out in the front. So everything is done behind closed doors now. And I think we're leading to a point where as a society, at some point we're going to find ourselves with two quite opposing forces of the people that have and the people that don't have. Now, everything that I've been saying through today leads me to believe that the people that do have at some point must have some kind of awakening or some kind of reckoning when they say, you know what, this just is not fair this mm. is not right and we need to find a way of including everybody um because you know as a human race we don't have that there's a mass kind of difference in a person that's just randomly born on this planet they're all part of the human race but they're not treated the same and we do have that power within us as a human race to say it doesn't matter where you're born it doesn't matter what color your skin is what gender you choose to be it doesn't matter what religion you are you're going to be treated with respect. You're going to have education. You're going to have food. You know, no one's going to blow your house up. You're not going to be asked to do something that you shouldn't be asked to do. Mm. You know, you're going to have the opportunity. But I think in the build up to that, it's going to get pretty messy <laughs> uh, because there's going to be a lot of shouting and a lot of people saying, oh, why the fuck should I help that person? You know, I don't know them, you know. Mm. They're like that because of their religion. They're like that because of their culture. They're like that because of, you know, um, the idea that the internet and um, modern technology means that we can communicate with each other virtually around the world has to be replaced with the idea that we can actually communicate with each other around the world. Because being able to do a blog or a podcast or type a message or I can send a tweet to Donald Trump right now and call mm. him a twat. <laughs> you know, and um, whoa, whoa, well, what a victory for humanity, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that I can do is I can read about like a, a, a crisis of humanity where there's like children, I can donate money because I do have more than enough money at the end of the month, mm. you know, and I can highlight that, I can write about that, I can talk about that, and I can talk to my local MP, I can, you know, I can do as much as I can. And you see that with climate change and you see that with, you know, gender rights and equal pay and all of that. Um, and, and if you look over the last kind of hundred years, we, that's kind of become our, our, our marching beat, isn't it? It's like slavery. What? Yeah, let's get rid of that. And, you know, what? women can't vote. Right. Yeah, let's get rid of that. Mm. And then, you know, and how far are we going to keep pushing until we go, you know, that, that, that kid's got no opportunity in life you know they have to walk for education they they, they have to you know go hungry for days and shit when mm. when we're going to say that's wrong as well yeah yeah and i th i think um we're coming near sort of the two hour mark so i'll start to wrap up uh shortly yeah, but yeah. i wanted to say um 
as well, sort of bouncing off what you said, I, I think the problem is one of the biggest problems in life and one of the, the things that causes a lot of issues nowadays uh, is the fact that people don't look at the grey area anymore. What they want is the easy yes or no answer. And I think that what this conversation has really highlighted is uh, with many aspects of both mine and your life, they probably more so uh, yours, obviously, due to the difficulties you had earlier on. Um, it would be a lot easier on you and a lot easier to deal with if people were a bit more understanding about things. And rather than just seeing, oh, you're a young kid doing drugs, you're bad. Like, that's just how they see it. Or, you know, if you are addicted to drugs, it's your problem and that's that. Or other people go, no, it's 0% your problem. It is 100% everything else's fault. And it's like, neither of those answers are specifically that helpful necessarily, except to get a sort of conversation started. And it's a thing of with social media, with the internet, and with just people in general. I don't really believe, because thinking on to obviously what we said about Hitler earlier, you know, I I believe Hitler was probably one of the closest to evil of people, but I don't think I even believe there is a good and evil anymore. I, I just think it's people, it's very rare for people to do something. There's the odd psychopath here and there who do just kill people for the thrill of it, but majority, a very, very, very vast majority of people, even if they do bad things, they are trying to do it in some sort of warped, good reason in, in, in a sense a lot of the time and it or you know they want to provide for their family yeah they're a drug dealer and they've you know maybe they've killed people and that's horrendous but in their head they're doing it for their young daughter and it doesn't make it right but it makes everything a lot more gray and a lot more cloudy and i just think so many problems on earth with the way humans interact with each other is expecting all other humans to adhere to some sort of level of perfection that no one can possibly go to either on the far right or on the far left or however you want to look at it without just coming to common ground and trying to be understanding and th see things as a more of a case-by-case -case basis of to what degree is one person to blame or one person not to blame as opposed to just kind of blanket statementing do you think that that's kind of the the black and white thing and the gray area of the world that's something that negative caused or at least contributed some of the to some of the large negative effects that you had uh, growing up i think um I think what we're talking about is, you know, what what we're describing there is is that, you know, in order to have an in-depth look at problems and to actually dedicate the time and the resources to looking at how we affect change in the world for a positive, it takes a lot of time. And we live in this absolutely automatic, um, immediate kind of world. So there's a disparity there, isn't there, between the need for thought and for planning and for proper time and resources dedicated to how do we change this with the i need my fucking iphone right now and if it <laughs> isn't working then i'm going to throw it at someone mm. um you know um really again coming back to care i think the responsibility will flip from us where we used to look at you know uh, presidents and prime ministers and governments and uh, republics to inform us as to how we behave and how we we you know this is what we do that you know we prosper i think we've prospered enough now to the point where really we should be turning it back and saying okay we know how to live now we know we've got laws we know what trade means we know what medicines we need we know how to educate people that's enough we've self-actualized now what we want you to do is to make sure that this planet is going to be safe and that um you know we don't want we don't want violence we don't want uh, sexual abuse to people we, we you know we, all we want to do is live in a safe world 
where we don't have to worry about each other. Now that's your job. Um, but that doesn't seem to be happening. The opposite seems to be that you turn the news on or you look for some guidance from from the people that we've elected or the people in power and they just fight each other. So there's that polarization kind of manifested by democracy. And I think it sounds very uh, like an anarchist kind of view, but I think really we're already seeing humanity and, and mass public start to transcend that and say, you know what, that's not changing anything. I'm going to have to do this myself. You know, mm. I'm going to ask you to go around and like bang on doors and make signs and do petitions and stuff because that's that's the way they listen to us. And that's the need, isn't it? Not like that's the flip that I hope will will happen. Okay, well, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And I think we'll kind of sort of... Uh draw this to a sort of close here but before we sort of wrap up um, is there anything uh, else that you want to sort of add any final comments and also uh, on top of that would you like to plug your shows one last time and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be wonderful but yeah please uh thanks for having me on mike it's been a pleasure um so days of my life podcast that we've spoken about is available now thanks to you mike who actually pointed it out all of the episodes are live because i did have it set so there was only 10 <laughs> uh, but there is i think there's 14 episodes um, it's on a break at the moment and there will be more episodes coming next year. It's an autobiography slash memoir involving dramatic events and all the things we've spoken about. And the plug for the new show, which is called Room, uh, you can find it through Aidan Rosewell on Twitter. There's a link there. There's a little one minute trailer that fo- features uh, voice actors and um, kind of short 10 minute stories in which we go on crazy little journeys and, um, hopefully all based in real kind of human emotions and uh, outcomes that you perhaps don't expect. And I hope it's going to be quite thought provoking and accessible when it comes out. Well, that's absolutely perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Aiden. It's been an absolute delight to speak with you. And I, I can't wait for you to release more episodes of uh, Days of My Life, obviously next year, uh, as well as uh, Room. I'm very excited for them. So, you know, thank you very much for having such an open and honest conversation with me. You're welcome, Mike. Take care, mate. Have a good day. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. Um, as I said at the start, and I think I may have said in the podcast as well, um, go check out Days of My Life. Um, it's I've included a link in the description. It's it's a really, really good audio drama. The episodes aren't too long. And um, the, the fact that it's all real just makes it so much more impactful. So after hearing Aidan talk about some of his experiences and things, I think you can see that he's a very well-articulated individual. Uh, so when he tells these stories in the audio drama format and things, they are really, really cool. So I definitely recommend you guys check that out um just to clarify as well i said it in the start um because i forgot to mention it last week because i'm a dick frankly there's no other excuse for that um i'm going to italy next week uh, as some of you may know my um my girlfriend is uh, half italian and she speaks several languages and um is much more much more intelligent than i am um and so yeah we're going to italy to see uh, some of her family we're going from sunday to wednesday and uh, I, I won't be in essentially i won't be about and i you know this podcast as i've said when I, when i went away to mexico for any of you listeners who've been listening for more than like a few few weeks will know that i love this show and it's a passion project and you know i don't i'd like it to go somewhere financially at some point in the future but at the moment it is still purely a passion project uh and so i'm not going to run myself ragged being on holiday spending several hours editing a show and putting it all together and all that sort of tomfoolery just uh to and lose a whole day in italy meeting megan's uh, dad for the first time and things so um yeah exciting weekend for me uh well weekend week whatever exciting time for me uh frankly uh but yeah i just want to warn you guys 
guys of that. I'll probably put something on social media as well because I keep. I really should have said in earlier episodes on, uh, with the Mexico thing. I gave a lot more warning, but oh well, too late now. Um, yeah, coming up as well. Um, I haven't actually got anything recorded. Uh, funnily enough, um, I've got me and Megan have actually spoke about doing a podcast together, which I think we will do at some point to talk about her teaching and the several languages, the cultural differences between Italy and England, lots of other things like that. So um, that'll be a really interesting podcast that I'll do with her. But I think we've got that planned for a few weeks' time. Um, I've got a podcast scheduled for the Sunday that I'm meant to be releasing the next episode. So that's going to be with my next guest. Um, he's an author. Uh, he's written a book about sort of traveling and things quite a lot. So the second half of the year is quite a lot <laughs> travel heavy, it seems. But, um, you know, traveling is great for people and things and so many different cultures you can experience. So it's always great to chat about those sort of things. Um, so I, I imagine that will be the one I release on that day. If not, if anything falls through in any way, um, it will be with uh, Megan, I would say. Um, I have got, I'm in the middle of rescheduling the thing with uh, the gentleman of the uh, True Crime podcast. Um, we have to keep rescheduling because he's currently he's got other things going on and there's like a specific thing he's doing at the moment which i don't want to talk too much about because it's not my business necessarily to tell but also i don't want to necessarily hint too hard who it is um but he's just got a lot of stuff going on right now and he's really really close to being finished with the thing that he's doing um so it's just easier for him if we just delay it a little bit longer um i imagine it'll be december or maybe even january now so any true crime fans listen to this show i'm sorry you're gonna have to wait a little bit longer before i chat to that uh, individual um as well as i've got a few other chats lined up with other podcasters and things I'm thinking about getting Josh on. I think I spoke to him briefly and he said he may be able to do something soon for another Science But Simple. And my buddy Alex Hart, who um, any of you will know him because I did an episode quite early on with him. Uh, I've done a couple of movie episodes with him, actually, I think. I've done two best of movie episodes. I did one just about movies, another best of, and I think I did one about nature and stuff a a while ago as well. So he's been on like three times. Um, He spoke to me about doing a a end of the year movies roundupy podcast and any of you guys who listen to me uh, a lot or follow me on instagram now i'm a big movie buff i go to the cinema quite a lot and stuff so we'll talk about that alex gets to see a lot of crazy random films that no one's ever heard of and then they're normally amazing so i'm excited to uh, speak to him at the end of the year and he's one of my favorite people in the world so I, I really always look forward to hanging with him and stuff um but that's that's really everything for me guys at the moment without this turning into a huge rambly mess which i don't really want it to because it's been a crazy busy day uh, if any of you have been keeping up with me on social media um you may have seen my story i uh, recently did a halloween thing uh, dressed up as jim from uh, friday night dinner um i'm gonna put a video on that online probably around halloween time uh, in brutal honesty because it's gonna be near halloween uh, and so more people are gonna be posting silly pictures so it's a bit more you know, fun to get in with that um but i shaved my mustache and we'll see that i've now i'm currently near enough clean shaven i look like a complete dick <laughs> i look much better with a beard um but yeah i was doing like a friday night dinner impression all night uh with like a little cuddly toy dog that i was dragging with me like jim's the neighbor in friday night dinner if anyone who listens who doesn't know what i'm talking about but kind of does yeah it's a it's a character from that um i got a couple of videos i got loads of pictures of me looking like a twat so it's good it kind of looks like ned flanders but a lot creepier um if anyone uh, doesn't know friday night dinner i recommend people go check that out um yeah I, I think that's really it guys um apart from me debating whether or not to do a very brief impression of jim but i think it's gonna be deeply offensive but maybe i'll just uh it's just like hello jackie shalom Oh, Wilson. That's his generally how he sounds. So I was doing that for a lot of the night, and I was quite intoxicated by the end, and we were up till three in the morning this morning, uh, basically at a club dancing to alternative music. A lot of Panic at the Disco and All Time Low and uh, a bit Billie Eilish and things like that were playing. So lots of fun for me. So you know, make sure you keep up with me on social media. Instagram's where I do the most stuff. You know, I put stories on there. 
and uh, I post movie movie reviews um, once a week or so, maybe. I've got my new tattoo. That's finished now. Um, I will be sharing pictures of that soon. I'm hoping in the next week. Uh, I keep forgetting to do it. Uh, and, yeah, I'm hoping to see Zombieland 2. That's probably going to be in about three weeks now, so the review for that will be quite late. But um, my review for Joker's up and all that sort of jazz. I thought Joker was incredible. But, anyway, I'm going to stop now because getting in six minutes is an outro. So, thanks all for tuning in, guys. Sorry for rambling. As always, I love each and every one of you, especially listening all the way to the end share in all the usual places give am aiden rosewell some love and emotionally 14 and i'll talk to all of you hopefully week after next